Chapter One of the Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty-eight to eighteen hundred, Part Three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty-eight to eighteen hundred, Part Three by François René de Chateaubriand. Chapter One. London from April till September, eighteen twenty-two. Revised December, eighteen forty-six. Change in the appearance of Paris. Club of the Cordelier, Marat. In seventeen ninety two, Paris no longer exhibited the same appearance as in seventeen eighty nine and seventeen ninety. It was no longer the newborn revolution, but a people intoxicated, rushing on to fulfil its destiny, across abysses and by devious ways. The appearance of the people was no longer tumultuous, curious, and eager, but threatening. Terrified of fierce men were to be met in every street. Persons who stole quietly along close by the houses, in order to escape notice or who were roaming about in search of their prey their timid and downcast looks were either turned away from you or fixed upon yours in order to scrutinize and thoroughly penetrate you all variety of costume had disappeared the dress of former times was wholly displaced and every one had adopted the uniform apparel of the new social condition even apparel which was then only the latest clothing of those destined to future condemnation the social license manifested at the regeneration of france the liberties of seventeen eighty nine those fantastic and wild liberties of an order of things which is self-destructive and nothing better than anarchy had already brought everything to the same level under the sway of the empire of the people there was on all hands abundant evidence of the approach of a young plebeian tyranny fertile it is true and filled with hopes but in other respects as much to be dreaded as the fallen despotism of the old royalty the sovereign people being everywhere when it becomes a tyrant the tyrant is everywhere it is the universal presence of a universal tiberius the population of paris was mixed up with a strange population of cutthroats from the south the advance guard of the marseillais whom danton was drawing together in paris for the tenth of august and the massacres of september these newcomers were easily known by their rags their bronzed faces and the appearance of idleness and crime but the crimes of a different climate in vultu vitium wickedness in their countenances in the legislative assembly i recognised no one mirabeau and the first idols of our disturbances were either no longer in existence or had lost their altars in order however to resume the thread of history broken by my voyage to america i must revert to things of a somewhat earlier date retrospect the king's flight on the twenty first of june seventeen ninety one gave an immense impulse to the revolution having been brought back to paris on the twenty fifth of the same month he was dethroned for the first time in consequence of the declaration of the national assembly that all its decrees should have the force of law without the king's concurrence or assent a high court of justice intended to replace a revolutionary tribunal had been established at orleans from that time forth madame roland was urgent for the beheading of the queen in anticipation of the time when the revolution should demand her own the assembly in the champ de mars had taken place to protest against the decrees which suspended the king from the exercise of his functions instead of bringing him to trial the acceptance of the constitution on the fourteenth of september had no effect in calming the storm the question then was the deposition of louis the sixteenth which if it had taken place would have spared the crime of the twenty first of january the condition of the french people was changed in relation to the monarchy and to posterity the members of the constituent assembly who opposed the king's deposition thought to save his crown and they lost it those who thought to destroy it by demanding his deposition would have saved it so it is almost always in politics the result is contrary to the anticipation 
on the thirtieth of the same month of september seventeen ninety one the constituent assembly held its last sitting the unwise decree of the seventeenth of the preceding may which rendered the retiring members ineligible for the subsequent assembly begot the convention nothing can be more dangerous more unsuitable or more inapplicable to public affairs than resolutions directed against individuals or bodies even when these resolutions are themselves honourable the decree of the twenty ninth of september for the regulation of popular assemblies only served to render them more violent this was the last act of the constituent assembly it separated on the next day and left to france a revolution the legislative assembly clubs the legislative assembly which was installed on the first of october seventeen ninety one was carried along by the whirlwind which was about to sweep away the living and the dead popular commotions led to shedding of blood in the departments at caen the people were gorged with massacre and devoured the heart of m de Bazance. the decree against the emigres and that against the non-juring clergy which deprived them of all rights were vetoed by the king these legal acts increased the agitation petion had become mayor of paris on the first of january seventeen ninety two the deputies passed a decree for the trial of the emigrated princes and on the second they resolved that this same first of january was to be reckoned as the first day of the year of liberty four about the thirteenth of february the red caps made their appearance in the streets of paris and the municipality caused pikes to be fabricated the manifesto of the emigres was issued on the first of march austria had recourse to arms paris was divided into sections more or less hostile to one another on the twentieth of march seventeen ninety two the legislative assembly adopted that sepulchral machine without which the judgments of the reign of terror could not have been carried into effect the instrument was first tried upon dead bodies in order to learn from them the execution of its work this machine may indeed be spoken of as an executioner since persons delighted with its valuable services dedicated sums of money for its support as testimonies of their respect the invention of such a murderous instrument at the very moment in which its services became so necessary to crime is a memorable proof of the mode in which events are coordinate to one another or rather a proof of those hidden means employed by providence when the whole face of empires is destined to be changed at the instigation of the girondins roland was called to be minister and member of the king's council on the twentieth of april war was declared against the king of hungary and bohemia marat published the ami du peuple in spite of the decree specially directed against him the royal german regiment and that of berkini deserted is now was busy speaking about the treachery of the court while jean sonnet and brissot denounced the austrian committee an insurrection broke out in reference to the royal guard which was disbanded on the twenty eighth of may the assembly declared its sittings permanent the palace of the tuileries was forced by the masses of the faubourg saint antoine and marceau on the twentieth of june on pretext of louis the sixteenth's refusal to sanction the proscription of the priests the king's life was exposed to peril the country was declared to be in danger m de lafayette was burned in effigy the confederates of the second federation were arriving the marseillais on the invitation of danton were on their march they entered paris on the thirtieth of july and were lodged by petion in the convent of the cordeliers the cordeliers along with the national tribune two others had been concurrently established that of the jacobins and that of the cordeliers the latter being at that time the most formidable because it furnished members for the famous common council of paris and provided it with a means of action had the formation of this council not taken place paris for want of a given point of concentration would have become divided and the different wards with their local officers been rival powers the club of the cordeliers was established in the monastery of that name the church of which had been built in the year twelve fifty nine 
in the reign of St. Louis, with money given as reparation for murder. In 1590 it became the resort of the most celebrated adherents of the League. There are places which appear to be the laboratory of factions. Notice was given, says L'Etoile, July 12, 1593, to the Duke de Mayenne, of 200 Cordeliers having arrived in Paris, furnishing themselves with arms, and coming to an understanding with the Sixteen, who held their daily councils in the Cordeliers of Paris. On that day the Sixteen, assembled at the Cordeliers, laid down their arms. Thus the fanatical leaguers had yielded up to our philosophical revolutionists the convent of the Cordeliers, as a dead house. The pictures, the sculptured or painted images, the veils and curtains of the convent had been torn down. The church, stripped of its ornaments, presented nothing to the eye except its skeleton angles. In the apsis of the church, where the wind and the rain entered through the broken and unglazed windows, the workshop of a carpenter was made to serve as an office for the president, when the sittings were held in the church. In these workshops the red caps were laid aside, which every orator wore when he mounted the tribune to address the assembly. The tribune itself consisted of four small beams laid crosswise in the form of an X, supported by props, at whose intersections boards were laid down like a scaffold. Behind the president stood a statue of liberty, surrounded by the pretended instruments of ancient justice, then supplanted by a single bloody machine, just as various complicated machinery has been supplanted by the hydraulic ram. The club of the exalted Jacobins borrowed some of its arrangements from the Cordelier. Orators. The orators of the clubs united for destruction had no common understanding either with respect to the chiefs to be chosen or the means to be employed. They discoursed with beggars, pickpockets, robbers, and murderers in the midst of the storms of hisses and hootings of these different groups of devils. Their metaphors were selected from the materials of murder, borrowed from the foulest objects of all kinds connected with the slaughterhouse and the dunghill, or drawn from places appropriated to the prostitution of men and women. Their gesticulations made these objects sensible. Everything was called by its own name, with the cynicism of dogs, in an impious and obscene procession of oaths and blasphemies. In the midst of this savage cant with which the ears were assailed and stunned, nothing was to be gathered but the sounds of destruction and production, death and generation. The declaimers, with voices like hailstorms or thunder, were interrupted by others, besides their opponents. The small black doors of this convent, without monks, and of the tower without bells, sported in and out of the broken windows, hoping for prey, and thus interrupted the speeches. They were at first called to order by the useless ringing of the president's bell, but not ceasing from their screeching, recourse was had to firearms to reduce them to silence. They fell palpitating and wounded, prophets of evil, in the midst of the pandemonium, Torn down timbers, rickety benches, dismantled stalls, and trunks of saints, served as standing places for the spectators, covered with dust and mud, drunk and sweating, with pikes over their shoulders or their naked arms crossed. The ugliest of the band always obtained a preference in obtaining leave to speak. All the infirmities, both of body and mind, played characters in our troubles. Self-love, disappointed, has made great revolutionists. Marat and his friends According to this precedency of ugliness, a series of gorgon heads mixed with the phantoms of the sixteen passed successively. The old physician of the Count d'Artois' bodyguard, the Swiss dwarf Marat, with sabots or shoes shod with iron on his feet without stockings, was the first to deliver his oration in virtue of his incontestable rights. Clothed with the office of fool at the court of the people, he shouted with his broad face and that simpering countenance of feudal politeness which the old system of training gave to every face. Two hundred and seventy thousand heads must fall. This Caligula of the highways was followed by Chomette, the atheist shoemaker. 
After the latter again came Camille Desmoulins, the attorney-general of the lamp-post. This stammering Cicero was the public counsellor of murderers, worn out with debauchery, the light-headed republican full of puns and witticisms, the jester upon the mumbling ceremonies of the cemetery, who declared that in the massacres of September all things had been done decently and in order. He consented to become a Spartan, provided the making of the black broth should be left to Mayo, the restaurateur. Fouché, having run up from Juilly and Nantes, studied the calamities of the times under these masters. In the circle of these ferocious beasts, listening attentively at the base of the tribune, he exhibited the appearance of a hyena dressed like a man. He scented the future outpouring of blood. He already breathed the incense of processions of fools and executioners, awaiting the day on which, driven from the club of the Jacobins as a thief, an atheist, and an assassin, he should be selected as a minister of state. When Mara descended from the rostrum, this political tribulé became the sport of his masters. They bantered him, trod upon his toes, and hooted at him, which, however, did not prevent him from becoming the leader of the multitude, from mounting to the belfry of the Hôtel de Ville, sounding the tocsin of a general massacre, and triumphing at the revolutionary tribunal. Marat was overtaken by death. Chenier wrote his apotheosis. David painted him in his bloody bath, and he was compared to the divine author of the gospel. The following prayer was used in his honour. Heart of Jesus, heart of Marat, O sacred heart of Jesus, O sacred heart of Marat. This heart of Marat was placed in a precious pyx, in a rich repository. A cenotaph of gauze was erected on the Place du Carousel, where the public went to visit the bust, the bath, the lamp, and writing-desk of the divinity. The wind, however, changed. The filth poured from the agate urn into another vase, was emptied into the common sewer. End of chapter 1